Welcome to Straight from the CPA's Mouth. I'm Chris Pilger, Director of Member Communications and Recruitment at CPA Alberta, and I'll be your host for today's show. My guest today is Joe Galliardi, and we're going to be discussing failure and what can be learned from failure, Joe's experiences in recruiting, and the potential impact of robotics on the profession. I heard that future casting is an essential tool for long-term business. According to a recent poll, 48% of Canadians say they are $200 or less each month away from again? Do you think the energy sector is Filter out the noise. Hear it straight from the CPA's mouth. Welcome, Joe. Thanks for coming, and I'm really excited to have you on the show. I, I, I know you well, so I, I'm hoping, I'm thinking that this will go well. Tell us a little bit more for those who maybe don't know you like I do, a little bit more about yourself. Sure. Uh, so I've been a designated accountant since 96 and uh, grew up in the Alberta economy from oil and gas to I had a stint in agriculture. I did some work in the food industry also, and uh, in about 2006, I wanted to do something different, and, but I didn't want to uh, get away from my accounting roots. I really felt that uh, it, it had given me such a leg up. So in 06, I went into a recruitment and I've uh, been there ever since. Uh, since 2011, uh, myself and our, my partners, we opened up uh, Recruitment Partners full-service accounting firm on a contingency basis. We do some uh, executive retain search, but mainly contingency. And uh, now I'm the, well, I'm one of the founding partners, and now I'm the managing partner, and uh, I've never looked back. I feel it's incumbent upon people that uh, have found uh, uh, some success in their uh, lives to give back to the, to, uh, the profession. So I serve on the uh, Education Foundation board, and uh, we we are stewards of uh, money for um, students, and we reinvest it and put it into programs. So that's, I find that very, very re- rewarding right now. That's great. So a really, a real diversity of, of experience that you've got, Joe, in and around the profession. And I think uh, it's going to offer a good perspective on what our uh, question for the podcast today is. So in the previous podcast featuring Erin Schwartz as our guest, she posed the question for you and I to discuss and answer today. And that's, what have you learned from failure? So, Joe, uh, we've all had them. What's uh, the biggest lesson you've learned from failure? Tell us a little bit more about that. I think that there is something to learn. And, and you know, what do I mean by that? Uh, so often we um, just say, well, if it was meant to be, it would have happened. Or, you know, this happened for a reason. And I think that's a cop-out. I think that uh, when you look at your, that's kind of looking at it from your ego state of, well, I couldn't have done anything about it, and we just comfort ourselves. We soothe our, our failure. And I think there's always something to learn. And if you, you walk it back, uh, of course, uh, hindsight's twenty twenty. But if you walk it back and you say, well, we could have done this, or I should have done this, or this is an opportunity where I think was a turning point, uh, whether it's you know preparing for an examination or you know that you're weak in that area, and we tend to work on our strengths, not our weaknesses, you got to get out of that ego state of feeling sorry for yourself and pick yourself up by your bootstraps. And I can't remember who said it, but it's always stuck with me. Opportunities are not lost. They just go to somebody else. And that's always been one of my business philosophies is we just didn't lose it and it disappeared into thin air. When I say we, I'm talking from a business perspective, but also from a personal it went to somebody else because somebody else was potentially better prepared for it, 
did something that you missed out on, uh, was stronger if it was an athletic endeavor or whatever the case may be. So you have to do that deconstruction and control what you can control and what you couldn't control. For example, you know, um, I could never slam a basketball into a, a hoop you got to let that go and move on. And I think that's the key is uh, control what you can, learn from it, and and make yourself better. And don't repeat your mistakes as best you can and uh, move forward. And do you think that's a reason as well for people not taking a risk in the first place? Is that fear of failure? And, and maybe any advice on how you can overcome that particular fear of failure? I, I You know, we were talking, uh, oh, I was thinking about this. We were around this earth for a short time. And I think we get into that comfort zone or that zone where you just are idling along. And I think that's where you have to really challenge yourself. And it starts with little baby steps is, you know, if you're you know, not in the best shape is getting up off the couch and going for a walk and then, it, you know, it turns into a run or a jog, whatever the case may be. And those small incremental steps drive you forward. And then lo and behold, before you know it, you're actually uh, taking on new challenges. And, uh, you know, I'm quite the opposite now in my career as an entrepreneur. I I feel like I'm very risk averse, and that sometimes is a an oxymoron for how you would describe a traditional accountant. So I have to check myself and saying, "Okay, Joe, are you just being too much of a maverick here and wanting to take that risk? And is it calculated?" So now I always do the the cost benefit return like a good accountant. Uh, yet uh, I I defer to risk. So I just and how I got involved is uh, hanging around the right people should always never be the smartest person in the room, and uh, that's an easy accomplishment for me sometimes. Um, but that really kind of pushes you and dry, it drove me to, um, to take on, uh, to learn and take on more risks and also uh, look at failure as just a, a part of the journey. Are there any mentors that you had that uh, were a turning point for you or people that you, in the business world, business community, that you looked at and said, hey, that person failed and learned and moved on and got better and and you kind of that served as an impetus for you to kind of take that approach one of the people that i'm just fascinated with right now and again it wasn't maybe so much earlier in my career but later my my career is elon musk um i just find that it's so scary how he thinks so progressively and uh and that intrigues me so you know he wants to put uh, people on mars by 2024 and NASA said, maybe we'll get there by 2035. And so, like, wow, how aggressive is that? And, uh, you know, he built electric cars, um, you know, the Teslas. And, you know what, they're having issues now. But I could just see him seeing that as uh, just another bump on the road, and he's going to move on forward from that. Uh, his latest venture is he wants to put these high-speed tunnels under major U.S. cities. So, like, who thinks of this stuff? Like, the, the guy is such an ethereal thinker that uh, it's so inspiring, and that's what we need. And, you know, of course, he's worth probably about $20 billion, so he can afford to make billion-dollar mistakes and still be okay. But, uh, you know, that, that type of thinking is very inspiring. Yeah, and he that company just got their first viable contract, I saw, with the uh, Las Vegas Convention Center. So they're going to do a boring, uh, because it's such a massive complex. So, so proof that... Uh, you know, sometimes those wild ideas do work out, even if there's bumps or failures along the way. And he was a Canadian citizen for a short period of time, and I think he has dual citizenship. I'm not even sure about that, but uh, he was uh, he's born in South Africa, but he lived uh, a time in uh, Canada. Yeah, so 
someone who may be experiencing failure or, or just got through it or uh, what what kind of tips, words of advice would you give to that individual? How do you how do you make those small steps that you talked about, incremental steps to bounce back, to to pick yourself up, dust yourself off, and keep going? And so again, it's it's doing those little things. Um, you know, depending what type of failure it may be. For example, if you're you're writing your uh, CPA uh, uh, final exam and and you don't pass, you have to really be self-critical of what went wrong and how what you did, and really you know face it head on. And I think that's too often we give ourselves too many excuses. Those excuses are fine, and and sometimes it's it's healthy to go through that mourning period where you kind of feel sorry for yourself and you eat a, a bucket of ice cream, whatever the case may be. But then you have to say, okay, well, what am I going to do differently? How do I have to approach this differently? And and, and then you seek out people that uh, maybe are in a similar situation uh, as you have been. Like, you know, that information is out there where you can say, well, hey, can you know, can you put me in touch or who who's out there has, has not passed uh, their, their final exam and how did you bounce back to pass? So I think it's, Taking the initiative and, you know, quite frankly, pushing out of your comfort zone. You should always feel a level of uncomfortableness, if you will, to the point where you can, that's when you're growing. When, you, when you're when not sure what the next thing is going to happen, those are the times when you're making progress and you're going to come back from that failure. And the beautiful thing about that, once you succeed and overcome that failure, you have the sense of accomplishment like no other. And I think that's... That stimulation or that endorphin release is an amazing feeling that you've conquered what you thought would never be conquered. And I think it's something that you probably see a lot in in your field in recruitment, where someone's maybe been uh, feels like there's a state of inertia in the in the position that they're currently in, and they hem and haw, and they finally reach out and and say to you, "Hey, what what's out there in the big the big broad world?" That's probably a step for a lot of people that they take uh, coming to your your organization. Very true, Chris. A lot of people come to us and, uh, and of course, their individual situations or problems, they feel it are just theirs. And um, when, I, when I talk to people that have, for example, just been fired or laid off, whatever the case may be, I give them the reassurance like, hey, better people than you have been in worse situations. So go through your mourning period, feel sorry for yourself, uh, get mad at your ex-employer, whatever the case may be. But n- n- when you're ready, let's have another conversation. And sometimes it's in that same day or whatever the case may be. But let's move on from that. Let's. This is not the end of the world. And, and, and I think when I let them know that um, this is commonplace, that this happens, and it happens a lot, they feel better. And then it's like, okay, so then I'm just going to treat you like any other human being. In fact, one of my uh, close friends just sent me a text. Uh, I used to work with him. Uh, he's got let go. And I go, oh, wow, that's terrible. Let's talk tomorrow and let's start planning for it. And he goes, oh, wow. Uh, yeah, I go, yeah, we might have some some uh, opportunities for you that might be a good fit. Let's talk. And and that's what, you know, they need me or us to be that uh, solid person that, quite frankly, they're relying on our experience. So it's it's important to impart that experience onto them. I'm sure that you probably often get a year or two later, run into someone and they give you the, you know, that, that layoff, that that uh, being let go or, or my switch was the best thing that ever happened to me. Yeah, we get that a lot, actually. And uh, because we, uh, again, as we sometimes don't realize that we are in that rut and that wasn't a good position for us. And uh 
you know, the key there is to, again, what did you learn from it? If it wasn't the right role, maybe you, you know, you, you were over-ripened in that role and you should have left earlier and not, and made that more your control. I always say to people when, you know, when opportunities are presented to them is I always say, hey, you should always be for sale, not on sale. So what does that mean? That means if somebody brings an opportunity f- to you, look at it, consider it. How does it match to where you are? Like, do that self-assessment. And what do I mean by on sale is don't discount yourself. Be very picky if you're in a position to be picky. But you should always look at opportunities because you never know what's the right opportunity. You know, so people will say to me, uh, and I and, and I'm being flippant, but people say to me, so I'm I'm very happy in my position. So if I found you a position that pays you fifty percent more, you're not going to look at it. Well, no, I'd look at it. Okay, so now it's 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 up for negotiation. So what is that number or what is that uh, career path or what is that responsibility in that next role that will excite you? And I think that ties back, though, directly to, to our initial conversation, which is that fa- fear of failure. Because you know what you've got in hand and sometimes it's a little scary. Well, what if I go to this job and it doesn't work out? And so it, it's all part of the same process in a lot of ways. Yeah. You mentioned that kind of transition into recruitment, but what what uh, before you started your own uh, firm, what was your initial jump into recruitment and why was that appealing to you? The reason why I got into recruitment is I went to a recruiting firm and they treated me like, how can I place this individual right away in the jobs that I have? And quite frankly, they didn't listen to me. Uh, at the time, I had three young children I have three old children now, or older children, I should say. Uh, But uh, I want to spend more time with my family. And um, so, you know, I wanted to dial back a lot of my hours because I had a very young family and I was, you know, working till 10 o'clock at night and that wasn't sustainable with a young family. So um, the person said, well, you're not going to become a CFO if you, you know, have that balance of life. And I said, okay. That's not important to me right now. I want to spend time with my family. So, so the key there is uh, one of the reasons I got into it is uh, I felt I said to myself, you know, if you have people's best interest and you listen to them, I can kill this. <laughs> Quite frankly, I thought, and I get to leverage my designation with other accounts because then I have credibility. Hey, I was in your shoes. I know what you're going through. I know what year end or month ends are like. So um, I can relate. And I call it building that credible human link. How do I make them understand that I can relate to them? Or if I can't relate, I have empathy. I can appreciate what I don't know from the perspective of, wow, that sounds it's like it's a daunting task. I've never been in that situation. And, and then you find people open up a lot. And I've had so many people, quite frankly, cry on me in, in interview rooms. And then I said, wow, maybe you're doing something wrong. But I, I think what had happened is... Uh, I touched a nerve or I, or I allowed them to release some stress or whatever the case may be. And then I found our relationship was um, more connected. Um, I've had several people come up to me and say, and he's actually one of our recruiters now. He's a designated account. And um, uh, he was done with accounting and he wanted to get into recruitment. And uh, he said, I remember meeting you, Joe. I have no idea what we talked about, but I remember how you made me feel. And that's that's so important because that feeling outstrips what you know what your memory is so one of the things that uh, is is big for me is building that credible human link and that's what i think i bring to the table with that 
accounting knowledge, if you will, especially when I deal with other accounts. And so you went from there and, and opened your own firm with some partners, and you know that's a, a risk of failure right there. So what prompted that, and, and how did you how did you decide to make that that uh, fairly major leap? One of the things that um, I found, and, and and I worked for a larger organization, is they um, they would sell to me, uh, they would sell to us, uh, the the other partners that I formed the uh, uh, recruitment partners with. Is they would. Uh, not treat me like I was as intelligent as them. And um, and again, that wasn't building that credible human link. That was just, okay, this is what we need you to do and please do it. Um, so one of our core values at Recruitment Partners is uh, ha- we have to be a safe environment. So what does that mean? Of course, safety, physical safety and all that kind of stuff. But you're allowed to say what you want or, or need to get off your chest without being phony or um, being um, disingenuous, if you will, and you know, talking in cryptic ways. Where why don't you just come out and say it? Because I'm not that dumb. And when I find that you uh, treat people, quite frankly, smarter than you are, you you uh, you build that connection and you have a genuine in- interest. So it comes to a point where it's untenable, and um, no matter what money you make, it doesn't matter. So we wanted to build our own organization with those key values which which are so important and uh, we you know we had a, a consultant today to kind of refresh our values and as we get bigger they are changing because now we have to appeal to a, a broader spectrum of employee and quite frankly a broader spectrum to candidates and clients out there so uh, it's definitely three pillars that uh, we always look at in every I'll call it every transaction that we partake in is what's in it for the candidate, what's in it for the client, and what's in it for us. You know, and that and that sounds like a good approach to almost every interaction, not just uh, business-wise, not just recruitment-wise, certainly, but, uh, you know, making sure that everybody is is equal and, and treated well and uh, making those connections. So you've learned something about the profession and that those personal connections, even in a, in a something that's based in numbers, make a difference. What else have you learned about the profession from the your time in the recruitment field? That um, people have are very, very unpredictable. Um, so they have phobias, they have wants and needs, they have expectations, they have spouses that have a, a contra view of the world than they do. And um, so, you know, what our inventory is, is people's skill sets. And I'm not going to say people, that sounds too commodity-like, but, you know, we sell people's skill sets to clients. And um, it's very, very unpredictable um, because things change. And that's where it's just very um, hard to pinpoint what the direction, uh, for example, a relationship or a, a placement is going. So being in recruitment, you obviously know a lot about what the future of the accounting profession might hold what types of skills uh, employers, industry organizations are looking for. So have you noticed any common trends in the types of accounting and finance professionals organizations are looking for currently or where things seem to be evolving to? Yeah, I definitely see a difference. As the oil and gas and those operational roles are uh, not as prevalent in Edmonton and Calgary, we have an office here in Edmonton and one in Calgary, so I can speak kind of for all of Alberta. We do find that um, those operational 
uh, blue collar, I'll call them, accounting roles are um, not as prevalent. So blue collar to blue collar type of roles for people moving between them is not as prevalent. We do find that clients are looking for public practice as part of their base experience. As the profession has evolved, uh, I really truly feel that public practice is a great place to start your career. It gives you fantastic fundamentals. It allows you to do see a lot of different uh, situations with different organizations, whether in different industries and so forth. Uh, public practice is relatively competitive with salaries nowadays. They just have to be because they would lose too many people. So what we find is uh, clients are looking for that. They're seeking that out. And uh, the, the cool thing is, is that uh, I've, we've had a lot of people, we will place them out of public practice into industry. And then they try it for a couple of years, a few years, and then they can go back if they want. So clients are looking for that public practice because they know what they're getting as opposed to industry where it has more variability. So as uh, margins are tighter and uh, the cost of hiring is higher, they're not willing to take that risk. So they're, they're, they're cutting their losses, for lack of a better term, by just looking at public practice as this is our hiring strategy, especially at the, at the more junior levels. That's really the main trend that we've seen of late. You know, that diverse skill set is, is something, if you can build it early in your career, is really beneficial. I had the opportunity to, uh, to interview a very well-known name, uh, business name here in Alberta and Canada and the world, frankly, Dick Haskane. And, and, and Mr. Haskane said to me, you know, I still make decisions sometimes as chair of the board of Hiram Walker and these giant multinational companies. And I think back to my experience. Uh, way back when I was an articling student. You know, I think that breadth of experience is truly, truly valuable, uh, regardless of where you get it. What other advice would you give someone looking to get some experience, accounting world work experience, and start their careers? One of the things is that I look for uh, on the resumes and, and when I'm interacting with the younger people is what are they doing outside of school or their work? Uh, are they involved with some charities? Of how are they giving back? How are they? And it may be very, very little. It may be doing some uh, your tour of duty on a condo board, and I know that's kind of everybody is looking for people to do that. Um, but are you giving back to charities? Are you organizing a run for the cure, even in your organization? Being that um, a little bit of that go-to person has so much um, value, as uh, especially with with non-accounts. And what do I mean by that? Non-accountants stereotype accountants a lot of times. So when you can give that feel of, oh, you're not just a, a bean counter or a number crunch or whatever the case may be, you have these other uh, facets to your personality. Those are really key, especially early in your career. Um, and then, you know, again, as I mentioned earlier, it's incumbent upon us to keep that going and, and keep your uh, perspective fresh, if you will. And I know that you're uh, definitely a committed volunteer uh, a lot of roles within and outside of the profession. And and any new uh, CPA out there early in their career who happens to be listening, I encourage you to connect with the Community Ambassadors Group, which does a, a great job in connecting not-for-profits that are looking for the expertise, particularly on boards of, of uh, CPAs, and connecting CPAs up to those groups. So uh, I definitely would encourage any uh, CPAs, especially earlier in their careers, to, to check out the Community Ambassadors website. So another trend that I think everyone's is on everyone's mind in the accounting profession is is robotics. 
Um, so how do you how do you think that will impact the future CPAs and the future of the profession? And and how should a CPA today develop their skills to make sure they're relevant and maybe perhaps a more automated artificial intelligence type of future? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and this is the uh, $64,000 question, and I would love to wrap my arms around it and give you the definitive answer. Uh, Unfortunately, we don't know uh, to what extent and at what speed artificial intelligence is going to hit us, if you will. And it is going to have an impact on the accounting profession. And, uh, uh, you know, I'm a voracious reader of how it will impact the the, uh, accounting profession because um, uh, I would say 50% of, or actually 70% of our our company's uh, revenue comes from placing accounts. Uh, so that's a big part of it. And uh, so we have to know who we're dealing with. It's going to affect the recruitment business. It's going to affect everything. It's going to, you know, how we get groceries and how we pay for them to the accounting profession. So so you have to, uh, and, and again, the horizon on that is uh, variable in different areas. How it's going to affect, or, or what it will affect is for sure it's going to affect us. And basically it's going to push the decision-making or the uh, opinion uh, f- that um, organizations are going to be looking for from their accounts, it ha- th- higher up. And what do I mean by that is um, no longer they're going to just be uh, able to crunch the numbers and hand them over to uh, the manager to make the decision from some metrics that have been calculated or whatever the case. They have to make that uh, determination. They have to give that perspective. Um, and it's going to affect the the lower levels, even when bringing students in from uh, into uh, public practice. Robotics is going to take over doing that. I'll call it that grunt work that everybody cut their teeth on. So they have to move that um, up the up the food chain, if you will, where you're going to have to make those decisions. The students coming up will be trained as to make help make those decisions. I know that uh, CPA Canada, CPA Alberta are on this. They're taking it very seriously. They're not leaving any stone unturned. And uh, uh, I, and that'll be reflected, quite frankly, in the program. But uh, there's a lot of things that you can do. There's uh, what are called uh, MOOCs, uh, Massive Online Open Courses. And uh, so if you Google M-O-O-C, you'll find that there's a lot of courses, university courses, thousands of them f- for free. It's incumbent upon you to be ahead of the curve. How are you preparing? How are you taking the steps? And again, it goes back to, you know, starting with the first question. We see failure on the horizon that how we're doing it today is not going to be successful. Take action today. I'm a voracious reader of um, how artificial intelligence, blockchain, how all of this works. I'm in my 50s and I I don't get a lot of it, (laughs) but at least I know what I don't know and I'm trying to learn that. And I guess when people bury their head in the sand and say, well, you know, CPA will take care of me. That's a fraught with danger because um, the ones that will succeed are the ones that are going to take that extra step. And so what does potentially that success look like? What opportunities might be brought to bear because of this shift? Where you're, you're interpreting uh, the big data, we'll call it. Uh, what can, there's so much of that, uh, you know, everything's connected by what's called the internet of things. And how are you taking in that data? How are you processing? How are you building those correlations? Uh, a lot of data scientist type stuff, quite frankly. And I think that's where kind of the uh, accounting and, um, and this artificial intelligence will, will connect up is we are going to be allowed to do more uh, ethereal thinking and, and using our, 
our brains rather than just following a process. Because up until now, we've basically um, computerized a manual process. Now it's time for that next quantum leap forward where we take that information and we do more of the analysis. And uh, it's the logarithms that are out there that we have to do that in conjunction with the machines and fine-tune it versus um, just trying to think that, uh, oh, I can still spit out a tax return. Uh, I truly think uh, tax returns will be so commonplace. Uh, you add in factors and then there's a decision tree when, you know, which way to go and uh, it spits out a tax return. So now what do you do with that information? So you have to think above that. And it's quite frankly, probably the more interesting and exciting stuff that's still going to remain relevant. And it's the stuff that probably most CPAs find tedious that's going to go out the window anyway. And I couldn't agree with you more. It's, it is the, the ticking and bopping, especially at the, the more junior levels that will be not needed uh, generation of newly designated accounts is going to be, they're going to be at a higher level. If, if I could say it like this in a, in a hierarchy of a, a public practice firm, they're going to be more making decisions at the manager level than they are at the, the, you know, the junior uh, senior level, if you will. Any other trends, uh, technology or otherwise, that you see impacting the profession in the future, Joe? I, I think the where we, you know, and again, this is a very traditional, the trend will be we won't be providers of the information to be to make decisions. We will be making those decisions or at least assisting with much, much more. And, uh, you know, senior accounting people say, well, I make all the decisions or I um, have a big part of it. But, you know, now we're going to be asked to how does this integrate with our, uh, you know, our human resource policy? How does this integrate with the core values of the organization and the strategic planning? There's just going to be more of that. And and that's where uh, it is going to be exciting. Computers and uh, artificial intelligence is going to do a lot, like you mentioned, a lot of the mundane stuff for us. So get past that. Sometimes it's uh, uh, we put our mind in uh, cruise control and we do that because we find comfort or it's easy. But yet that's not where uh, the profession is going to be going and headed. So we've we've touched on it a little bit, but uh, someone came up to you point blank, perhaps a, a post-secondary student and said, you know, I don't think I want to go into accounting because I... I've heard that the robots are going to take all the accounting jobs and the CPA profession isn't going to exist in, in the future. How would you respond to that? How would you convince them that that's not the case? Um, that's very myopic because uh, wherever there's a threat, there's always going to be an opportunity. So how are you on the winning side of that opportunity? There's always going to be that need or within the foreseeable work future of the next generation of accountants for their discretion for their decision-making ability. And that's the key is we're, we're going to have so much more information where we never had it before. So the old saying, you know, I don't know what I don't know, but now you'll have more information. So it's going to be incumbent upon us is how do I make better decisions from that? So how I would relate to that particular individual student is saying, it's actually we're going into a very exciting time for uh, the profession, because there's always going to be that regulatory part of it that uh, um, will have that human intervention. And then we're going to make it a much more interesting um, career. I always, when I talk to people, I say, hey, are you an accountant that knows business or are you a business person that knows accounting? And I think the latter one will prevail where we're going to produce fantastic business people 
that no accounting, and they're going to use that as part of their repertoire, as as you mentioned uh, earlier, is you know a uh, sixty, seventy, eighty year old individual uh, that has a university named after him. Uh, goes back and says, hey, my days as an articling student are some of the times that uh, I fall back on. So uh, we're going to be producing uh, some of the elite business people uh, in accounting because their role is going to be changing for the better. And the fact of the matter is that the profession has a long history of dealing with technological disruptions. And I envision caveman accountant who was worried that the abacus was coming in and, and then, you know, the, the calculator and, and computers and all the way through. And, and all of those things have been adapted to and adopted by the profession. And I think that this one's likely to be no different. Thank you very much for our conversation here today, Joe. Really enjoyed my time talking to you. Uh, straight from the CPA's mouth is centered around Alberta CPAs discussing everything from leadership to finance to education. Before we end this episode, Joe, could you pose a question for our next guest to ponder and answer in the next episode? Well, I've been thinking about this question a long, long time. So I would like to ask is, what do you think are the most overrated and underrated leadership qualities? Oh, that's a good one. Before we wrap up, is there any other thoughts that you wanted to add to our conversation here today? No, I think I'm good. Uh, You've covered it uh, off and... uh, People can get a hold of me, especially students. I never refuse a student uh, connection on LinkedIn. Um, And then I get asked a lot of questions from LinkedIn. Uh, I believe when you're in a position to pay it forward, it is incumbent upon us to do that. And uh, I encourage uh, students that uh, have some thoughts of what the accounting profession looks like or where it's headed to contact me through LinkedIn. And uh, I'd be more than happy to start up that conversation. There you have it, listeners, straight from the CPA's mouth. Thank you to Joe Galliardi for joining us today. Thank you to all of you for tuning in. And be sure to check out our next episode featuring CPAs discussing important leadership qualities. Be sure to join our subscriber list in order to get access to exclusive content. You can sign up and get more information at cpaalberta.ca slash podcast. Straight from the CPA's Mouth is brought to you by the CPA Education Foundation. The CPA Education Foundation is the charitable arm of the Alberta CPA profession, providing up to $1.2 million each year in support of business and accounting education in the province. This podcast is just one of many resource materials available through the HESHI CPA Knowledge Centre. This virtual hub features Alberta CPAs sharing their unique perspective and vast expertise on topics and issues such as leadership, finance, entrepreneurship, and more. Visit cpaalberta.ca slash foundation for more information on the HESHI CPA Knowledge Centre and to learn how Alberta CPAs inspire success.